0: I think that everyone needs to know their body. Just Mm. like when you work with people and do Pilates, you know, people need to know how their body works and be curious if something is a little different. Mm. Or maybe if you're not sure, like keep a log and see where this is going. So by the time you're worried, maybe you have a kind of a document you can report to your doc and talk about it. And I think that there's so many warning signs. I mean, who hasn't had fatigue for God's sake. Uh, Weight loss. There's a lot of things that can be what I say are red flags. (laughs)
1: Podcast, and this week I'm really excited to be welcoming Dr. Susan Bangertel back to the Moving Through Menopause Podcast. Hello again, there, Dr.
0: B. How are you doing today? Hi, Philippa. I'm great. So, so delighted to be on with you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And today, you know, we're talking about something that lots of people can struggle with, either themselves or uh, by proxy, when family members are struggling or suffering. I've had my own journey with this, and it was, of course, a childhood cancer that I was dealt with my eldest son, who was diagnosed when he was only one year old. So, yeah, this has kind of coloured my life, if you like, in a way. And probably a lot of good has come from this, in as much as the lifestyle choices have been influenced and definitely for the better (laughs) and I know this is a cause close to your heart and that you work an awful lot with the cancer charity tell me all about this would you please
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you. And I must say, I'm sure everyone is touched by cancer. I mean, truly. And if you're not personally, you know someone. And so I know it's close to almost everybody. My late mother had breast cancer twice. My late father had prostate cancer. I mean, everyone has a story like that in their families. But, you know, I'm a physician by training. I've actually celebrated 30 years as a doctor today, actually this month coming up. And I must say before I get into the meat of the matter that of course, everything I talk about medically is just me talking. So people should see their own doctor for advice. You know, the cancer part, I actually wanted to go into oncology. During med school, I actually had a mentor that really wowed me and supported me in primary care. And so that was my bent, but truly I realized that all these years I've been caring for people with their cancer, regardless, I'm just not treating their cancer per se. And so I think that was a better match for me. I have just such an understanding and a depth and breadth of experiences in that venue. But really, you know, one thing that's near and dear to my heart, which you mentioned, is a nonprofit organization called Cancer Lifeline. And it's a local, regional, actually even national, international, if you want to put it that way, because, dare I say, COVID turned everything online and so people can access our services And we're actually doing a fundraiser this month. And it's just really an honour to be the president of the board and to be connected to such a wonderful organisation.
1: I mean, doing amazing work and it's so needed. These voluntary organisations really prop up our health services and support people in the darkest hours. And so that's really amazing work that you do. And thank you so much for doing this. So we're talking predominantly hear about women in the Moving Through Menopause podcast. And so, you know, cancer just is the word that fills people with dread, just, you know, the very hearing of that word. But we have to acknowledge that as we get older and move through life, that there are certain ailments that we're more likely to experience. And of course, we can't skirt around this topic of cancer, can we? So what sort of common cancers might women be experiencing or subject to around this time of life?
0: Yeah, I think about, well, what's going on during menopause? Well, we're in midlife. Or we're approaching midlife so a lot of it is due to the aging process that's not menopause per se but you know frankly i think a lot of women when they're going through menopause or maybe have gone through menopause recently there are many things going on in their family structure if they have kids perhaps they're empty nesters or there might be soon maybe their parents are frail or elderly or they've passed and so there's a lot of life transitions And dare I say that many women will put their own personal health on the back burner and really not attend to that. So I love this topic because I think there are many things to pay attention to, but I really believe that when you focus on the word cancer, which of course is a deer in the headlights for everybody, you should really think about the things that we can actually screen for or even prevent, or if you catch early, treat and be successful. Mm -hmm. And so I have a really short list, frankly, because there's millions of cancers. But, you know, we think of breast cancer, of course, getting your mammograms. We think of colon cancer, which is now kind of we're being screened at younger ages. We think of cervical, uterine, endometrial uh, cancer, skin cancer, you know, all of those we can screen for to a certain degree and we can be proactive with our health. Unfortunately, there are many cancers that Are difficult to screen for. And many of us know family members or people who've had pancreatic cancer or ovarian cancer. And that that becomes very, very challenging. But really, there's also kind of the things to think about at this time frame is do you have familial or genetic risks? Do you have symptoms? Are you someone who should cut some lifestyle habits? Like are you a smoker or drinker and those kind of things? And so I think again, there's a myriad of other cancers that do factor in, but it's not just because of menopause.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it, isn't it? The time of life is really more yeah. pertinent. For the average woman around the age of 51, 52, when menopause is complete, shall we say, or the menstrual cycles are complete. And so, yeah, we're in that midlife time frame. So you talked about screening programs and obviously there are screening programs that we can be called for by our doctors. And I know my husband, he probably won't like me for telling you this, has just been in receipt of the screening for the bowel cancer. I think we just get one opportunity. That's my recollection in the United Kingdom when he's just turned 58 You get something through the post and then you deliver it to your doctor. So we'll we'll be doing that, no doubt, in the next week or so. And then, of course, for women, the mammogram is a regular occurrence. It's not pleasant, is it? You know, I think some people do avoid going because of the pain or discomfort associated with that.
0: Do you think that? Yes and no. And here's where I think it would be good to step back and talk about, you know, what are appropriate screening measures. I do think that there is a little bit of a slippery slope when you rely on your best friend, your mom, your aunt, your cousin, your coworker to tell you, oh, my God, it's horrible, when really maybe it wasn't. Because we all know some women whiz through childbirth like nothing and others say, oh, my God, I would rather kill myself, you know. So it's the bell curve. And and truly, I do think that mammograms are not painful they may be very uncomfortable. I've had quite a few. I've had many, many biopsies. Don't even get me started on that. And a lumpectomy, but it is very, 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 very momentary. I mean, just at that moment where you think you can't breathe, it's done. So literally it's a momentary test. And yes, I mean, my whole chest looks red afterwards for a couple of days, you know, so it looks like I've been a little beaten up, but it's not painful, in terms of what one would think of pain that is lasting, that is unbearable, that is just intolerable, like a surgery would be. Colonoscopy, oh my God, it's the prep. The colonoscopy, you're asleep, honey. You don't even remember a thing. But it's the prep where you just like you're really in love with your bathroom for a while. So I think sometimes these tests get built up to the point where people like, oh, no, I can't do that. My aunt, Macy had something horrible. First of all, that could have been a different era. Maybe they didn't have the same kind of things. And they really do finesse the tests over time, depending, of course, where you live and what you have access to. I wanted to mention on colon cancer here. It used to be 15 and older. Now it's 45 and older you start getting colonoscopy. So very different protocols, different countries. And here it's every 10 years, unless you have a funny polyp that by basically every five years. I know the guidelines are changing, but those are pretty steadfast guidelines here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it is quite a different story over here, has to be said. Yeah. The stool uh-huh. test and a routine colonoscopy is not something
0: that we are offered. So wow. That's shocking to me because those stool tests are really, well, there are two out there. The one is just shows blood in the stool. Mm -hmm. which is, to me, I wouldn't say the word bogus, but it's almost like a lark. Imagine if you just had a little polyp or something in the colon that just happened to bleed at that time, and that's what your test shows. So, oh, you have blood in your stool, but you could have cancer and never have blood in your stool. So, it's like, that is really not helpful. And the other one people ask a lot about is Cologuard, which is the other kind of more of a biomarker test Again, there's a lot of false positives where your test is positive, think, oh my gosh, I'm dying. You go have your colonoscopy whistle clean. So, those tests are really second rate. And I'm really sad to know that you don't have the access to Mm -hmm. colonoscopy. But back to female cancers and screening, too. I think (laughs) we, you know, let's not forget about the PAP and about the pelvic exam. And actually, one of the most important parts, which is not even part of the PAP necessarily, is HPV testing and human papillomavirus or HPV, there are several subtypes that are linked to high risk to cervical cancer. And so those are important. Some women's like, oh, I'm done with periods. I don't need a pap. Well, you may not need a pap every year, but make sure you know your HPV status because if you're negative, great. If you're positive, not great. You have to really get more frequent testing. And again, there are protocols built for that.
1: Yeah, and of course, we call it cervical screening here in the United Kingdom. So that's our version of the Pap. And yeah, to carry on having those smears, even after the time when periods have ceased. And, you know, I think that's another kind of uncomfortable, invasive procedure. But as you say, the medical professionals have got so good at handling us as humans, you know, And so caring and kind. I think we really just have to be so thankful and grateful that this is offered to us and take up any opportunities that we are offered to go and participate in preventative medicine because that's what it is, isn't it, at the end of the day?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are kind of like, what can I do? You know, what can we do on our own? What should I be looking for? I'll mention one thing, which is kind of a bugaboo. There's controversy actually on breast self-exam. It used to be, I used to teach every woman, okay, you know, you kind of feel the quadrants or spokes of a wheel, you're looking for frozen grape or something really firm, you're looking for changes. Pain usually is not an indicator of cancer, usually something else, but you know, gosh, have you ever tried to fill your breasts? Many women have very lumpy, bumpy breast tissue and everything feels like a tumor. And so that's the worst advice to tell a woman, oh, check your breasts. And they think they're dying when it's actually normal breast tissue. So it really, I wouldn't say it's fallen out of favor. It's just not really an accurate way to screen. Now, that being said, I think that everyone needs to know their body. Just Mm -hmm. like when you work with people and do Pilates, you know, people need to know how their body works and be curious if something is a little different. Or maybe if you're not sure, like keep a log and see where this is going. So by the time you're worried, maybe you have a kind of a document you can report to your doc and talk about it. And I think that there's so many warning signs. I mean, who hasn't had fatigue for God's sake, you know? (laughs) (laughs) that could be a sign of cancer, Uh, weight loss. Well, who wouldn't want weight loss, but you know, weight loss could be a sign of cancer. So, you know, joking aside, you know, there's a lot of things that can be what I say are red flags. So like, let's say for instance, when you're thinking about cervical cancer, if you have vaginal bleeding, not good. Any woman who's post-menopause, which means 12 months without a period or more, any vaginal bleeding is considered abnormal until proven otherwise. Let me tell you, there's someone's like, oh, it's like a period. I haven't had a period for years. Like, well, this is not a period. You know, you don't have any reason to be a period if you're 69. You haven't menstruated for eight years. No, you need to go get it checked. It could be endometrial cancer, it could be cervical cancer, it could be uterine cancer, or it could be nothing, it could be polyp. So, again, pay attention to what's going on with your body. Look for those kind of warning signs. I don't want to leave skin cancer out of this discussion Mm -hmm. because skin cancer is so important as we reach certainly at any age group, but midlife and beyond, you know, many of us recall a nasty sunburn when we were younger, long before we knew about skin cancer. In fact, I'm from Seattle, grew up in Ontario, Canada, and the big deal in high school, I didn't, but was to zip all the way down to Florida to Daytona Beach. All the folks would come back and they were like, you know, black and bronze, you know, you put baby oil to get the tan. Well, that was long before we knew about skin cancer. So having had a sunburn, even one sunburn can put you at risk. You know, look for changing skin moles or things. So those are all those things that need to be on our radar.
1: Yes, absolutely. The getting to know me (laughs) kind of piece, Uh, really understanding and not disregarding a sort of a niggly thought that you might be having, something bothering you. Not to just put it to one side, you know, like you said, make time to explore that with your doctor because you really wouldn't want to be kicking yourself at a later date. (laughs) It's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the self examination, I think you're right that uh, if you've never experienced what it feels like before, and then yeah. we start to feel our breast tissue, then it is mine, are certainly very lumpy. I know that isn't for a fact. But yeah. what we get to know by regularly examining ourselves is where those lumps and bumps are and whether or not there's any changes taking place. And of course, the nipples is another.
0: Key blue, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, you know, nipple bleeding or discharge, maybe you have discharge when you're breastfeeding and that shouldn't happen post menopause I would say not to harp on the cancer, there are other things that can cause that kind of discharge or bleeding too. And I had a papilloma causing nipple bleeding. It wasn't a tumor, but 10% of those papillomas can hide a cancer. So of course it had to get a lumpectomy take it out. Fortunately, it was fine. So there's a lot of really complicated algorithms that you may not know. So again, just pay attention to your body. You know, if you look at the skin, none of us have perfect skin, but if it's retracted, meaning it's kind of pulled down from within, there's a huge dimple, didn't have a dimple before, that's not a good thing. You know, check it out. We're not talking thighs. You know, we probably have dimples everywhere, but we're talking breast tissue that we can see. And getting back to genetics, I think that's important as well. So many people already know about a family history and it's not just one great aunt or great grandmother with cancer that most likely won't impact your risk But there are kind of cancer families or basically hereditary patterns. And we have ways of screening for that now. Sometimes it's more just the history taking, knowing your family tree, knowing who had what, when and what age. But for those who are unsure or there are kind of heightened risks that we're really wanting to be precise about, There are blood tests now that have gone from the benchtop experimental to actually mainstream and clinically very valid, which will look for things like BRCA, people may have heard of BRCA, or CHECK2, and others that are syndromes. So one could be ovarian and breast, or one could be colon and breast, and maybe other cancers too, if you're male, prostate. So it's important, again, like you mentioned, don't stop and think like, oh, That's just kind of funny, me, you know, keep track of it and then mention it because there are good ways to screen. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, really important. So, talking about breast cancer specifically, I know that there's been a lot of debate about hormone replacement therapy and whether it's safe for women to use. Now, this is obviously a challenging area for discussion, but I just wondered if you had any insights in and around this.
0: Yeah, that could be an hour talk. So I will kind of crystallize into just maybe a couple of poignant facts. Almost everyone on the planet has heard of the Women's Health Initiative by now. It's in the early 2000s. It was this massive study that was ongoing and looked at many different kind of groups, I remember that well because when I was in clinical practice and the first data sets came out, literally every woman in my practice, even like 85-year-olds that had been on hormones forever, they all stopped their hormones because they were all panicked. Of course, a month later, everyone was screaming, oh, my God, I can't live this way. Put me back on. So I remember the chaos that ensued, but forever in a day that has imprinted in our minds like hormones, bad hormones, bad, which is really not the case. There's been a lot of more critical modern analysis and continued studying of this very topic and hormone therapy. It used to be called hormone replacement therapy. Now it's hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. And so the hormone therapy data back then. You know, the study was flawed in terms of looking at the age of the participants and what actually they were taking, you know, as Prem or Prempro, Pro. And, you know, we have very different approaches now in terms of age groups of women and types of hormone therapies available. So to answer that question, just in like a bullet, like yes, no, for the most part, estrogen therapy or hormone therapy, which estrogen and progestin is relatively safe and is on the same level of other risk factors for breast cancer. So that's kind of blows your mind because we forever in a day we're thinking like, oh, estrogen, oh, terrible, horrible. And it doesn't mean that there are women and there are women who should not be on estrogen and should not take hormone replacement or hormone therapy. So it's not just like, a, it's not drinking water, but I think we've fortunately come away from that kind of flouty data and kind of angst, a very long time frame, 20 years <laughs> at least of kind of saying, oh, estrogen is bad for you. Now, that being said with a straight face, you know, when I approach a woman who's considering hormone therapy or asks about it, I think it's so important to make sure it's individualized. I don't make my decisions based on population data or like a million studies. It's who's this person right in front of me? And I think that the best use of estrogen or hormone therapy, estrogen, progesterone, is for women who really are having a tough time, vasomotor symptoms. They're just going crazy at night. They're drenched. They're sweating during the day. It's a nightmare and they cannot cope. And so to kind of complete the whole circle of like, is it safe? We think about hormone therapy as being valid for women who are going through perimenopause and early in menopause. And- I guess in terms of looking at the data, you know, if you're under 60, then that is something that is considered acceptable, except again, thinking about other risk factors. And by the way, estrogen, not just thinking about cancer, can also cause a number of other things like thromboembolic disease or stroke or blood clots. So there are other reasons that you don't want to be on hormones. Then, of course, we have a lot of modern medicines available, be them actually prescription medicines, formulations, or natural approaches, where we can kind of drill down to what body part is the problem. So if you just have vaginal dryness, well, you can use vaginal estrogen or vaginal preparation. You don't have to fill your whole body if that's not what you need. It's nice to know that there are options, there are combinations, be it patch or cream or insert or pill. And that there are reasons that we can now say it's safer than what we used to say. But that being said, I mean, I have never been on hormones. I don't plan on being hormones. And it's not that I'm anti-hormone. It's just I don't feel I need them. And I have found other ways to deal with my symptoms that I'm comfortable doing. So again, keep it individualized. Make sure women don't feel shamed or scared about using hormones, but also invite them to consider other things if they're interested.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely concur with this individualized approach to health and wellness overall. And I think giving people the options and as much as possible educating people about the pros and cons of approaches that might be options for them. And so, you know, it's not for everyone, as you point out. I just know that for me personally, it was made all the difference between getting a night's sleep and
0: not. (laughs) And so, you know, that. And then don't even mention the brain fog and the bone health and the, I mean, you can go on and on in that one, right? (laughs)
1: Circling back to cancer, you know, I guess how worried should we be? how worried should we be? Because I don't know about you, Dr. B, but it seems that whatever is going on in our bodies, we always have this tiny little voice. It could be cancer, you know, and this little person sat on your shoulder. It's sort of being appropriately aware But at the same time, not panicked, you know, into worrying that the slightest thing that happens to us is or could be cancer. You know, how can we put this into perspective, I suppose? Is there
0: a way that we can do this? Yeah, I think that cancer is not like pneumonia. Pneumonia you get and you can get critically ill in 12 hours. You can die in two days if you're not hospitalized in the ICU. If you have pretty serious, egregious, uh, terrible pneumonia, Depending on your status, almost all cancers. There are very few. There are some that are aggressive and fast, but almost all cancers are slower growing, and so that is maybe the difficulty. Is there's nothing, something that just like line in the sand, urgent. Oh my gosh! Yesterday, you know, I was fine, and now I'm not well. Something's going on. It's this kind of slow, kind of like oh, I'm not feeling so good anymore, and oh, I'm so tired and you know, I guess I'm a little weight loss. Gee, I'm not even trying to lose weight. What's going on? And, you know, and so that's that niggly, like, hmm, know your body, Mm -hmm. understand, is there another reason for it? Ask questions of your doctor, know your family tree. I think that's important. Although, again, not all cancers are genetic. And then, dare I say, you know, a lot of those kind of good health good living things come into the play here in very many ways. So when you think of preventing, well, for example, if you're trying to prevent diabetes, well, you're eating healthy. You're trying to get a good body weight. You are exercising. You're trying to work on good sleep and stress. Well, voila, those are good things for cancer prevention. But again, I think that it's so imperative. I understand different countries have different approaches, but to get the appropriate screening tests. And if you're at an annual exam, you know, say, hey, are there any cancers I should be screened for? That's different than coming with a list that you've printed out from the internet saying like, oh, here's this one test I've heard about that I should get. It's like, oh my gosh, it's probably not even true. But ask the question, are there cancers I can get screened for? What should I be concerned about? Or what should I be doing now proactively? And I think that's always a good dialogue to have. And then you don't have to be anxious when things happen. You can kind of write it out and say, oh, well, that was just a little GI bug. No wonder my gut wasn't fine. I'm fine now. But I think there are some cardinal things that you should never ignore. And I'll say it again because it's so important. If you're postmenopause and you have vaginal bleeding, that is never normal, ever. So you have to get it checked out. If you have blood in your stool and you go to the bathroom and you what? well, that could easily be hemorrhoids, very commonly hemorrhoids. But, you know, If it's not, or you're not sure, you got to get it checked out. I think those are kind of easy ones. Lung cancer, we didn't talk about. You can get lung cancer. You don't have to be a smoker. It doesn't have to be genetic. So again, you have to think about, okay, you know, is my breathing capacity okay? Do I have a cough? A lot of people say, oh, I I have little allergies all the time. No wonder I'm coughing. Well, that could be true. But if you have a cough that you can't readily explain, then go get it checked out. Again, with weight loss, definitely go get it checked out. You start to kind of see some patterns. I would hate to think that people get panicked and worried all the time, like any little thing that happens to them. Uh Uh-oh, you know, I had a funky night sweat last night. I hadn't had night sweats for 10 years. What's wrong with me? Oh, we'll just let it go. But if it keeps happening, maybe it's just a, a very common disorder like thyroid disease. Maybe it has nothing to do with cancer, but get it checked out.
1: I think that's great advice. Anything that lingers and hangs around, and and we can't necessarily think of a logical explanation. The persistent cough's a bit of a difficult one with COVID lingering around at the minute, but you know what's normal for you, and as much as possible, be reassured that what's normal for you is
0: what should continue to be normal, essentially this is going to be where our viewers are going to say, what? Because as we go through menopause, this whole perimenopausal journey is like, oh my God, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? And so it is a reintroduction to your body. And yeah, things are going to be different. And yes, what you didn't have two months ago, you now have. And so again, it's taken into context, I think. And that's where we have to We have to swallow our pride and say, oh, yes, we are going through a midlife change. And we have to, again, be a little more on the alert. But here's my kind of promo for getting into your annual exam, because if you haven't, because you're healthy and you're used to being healthy. And so why do you need a checkup? Now would be the time to go in and say, oh, let's just get a new baseline, because let's see how my body's doing so I can understand it better. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I love that you corrected me then because you're so right. Menopause is definitely a time of change. There's no doubt about that. We really have got some unpicking to do. This idea that we are as much as possible in touch with what is normal and even our new normal, whatever that might look like, life is changing. But things that are happening to you that are unfamiliar and maybe just you're really just not sure. Then just please do don't hesitate to see your doctor because they'd be happy to tell you how
0: healthy you are, won't they? You know, there's nothing better than to say to someone, "Hey, this is normal. You're fine. Have a great day."
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're so happy when simple things walk into the clinic, and it's yeah. a quick fix, and everybody's happy. So never be concerned about checking things out with your medical practitioner because we love to see you don't we we love to see people
0: (laughs) it's really nice to feel that you're honoring their body you're honoring their requests and i think i would kind of put a little cell job here for women because i think Sadly, either we discredit ourselves, like, oh, well, this is silly. I should just put up with that. Or I don't have time. That's frequent. Or you go in and maybe someone's not really listening to you. I think you need to be polite but firm and really kind of have your issues that you want to address and don't have them trivialized. You really don't want them to just, oh, you're fine. You're perimenopause. Like, well, I don't feel fine. I'd like to talk about it. And that could be mental health. It could be physical health. So I truly think that when it comes to cancer, we are our own best advocates in Mm -hmm. terms of really trying to get what we need and get educated.
1: Yeah. We do hear those stories, infrequent but well publicized usually that you know when things do go wrong yeah people are not listened to and they have this uh, nagging feeling and sadly they're shown to be correct but those stories are like I say relatively infrequent And often overblown because, uh, let's face it, it's that kind of news that sells publications, isn't it? I think you're right that much as we love to see people, sometimes people do feel a little bit disregarded. Doctors are people too, and we're all having a day in the clinic sometimes when we're maybe not firing on all cylinders or, you know, we are only human after all. They haven't yet come up with an algorithm for that, have the shoes. And so, (laughs) oh, I hope there's no
0: AI to replace me.
1: (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's impossible. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, so sometimes we do have to be firm and advocate for ourselves when those times arise. But hopefully those times are few and far between. And for the most part, practitioners are giving of the best and really have our own best interests at heart. So, well, it's wonderful to chat with you across the Atlantic yet again. Thank you so much for your time today and your expertise. I really appreciate that you give this time
0: for the benefit of uh, womankind, we'll say. <laughs> I think it also benefits everyone in our lives, too, whether they're female or not, because we're important to everybody. <laughs> uh, you make the world go round. Yes, of course we bad. do. <laughs> <laughs> always a treat to talk with you. And it's an excellent subject that some people don't want to really think of, but it's important to get knowledge and education about. So I'm so glad you had me on. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to chatting with you again. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.